I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Brand new episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. Which is a read-along pod. Where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm a long-time Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, hopefully uh, Lizzie finds some insight. I pretend it was my insight all along. <laughs> and we have a good time with it. How you doing today, Ice? I am tie red. <laughs> ow, ow. I'm right there with you. But uh, why is that? Ain't exciting or just life? Nah, just haven't been able to sleep well lately. I wish life were more exciting. But no, tragically. Today we're on chunk one of Small Favor, starting off the newest jam. This is um, from 2008. 2008, Small Favor by Jim Butcher. What'd you uh, think of this first chunk? I liked it. I'm curious to see where we go with it all. Yeah, definitely some cool uh, cool new magic already. Yeah. I like the, and uh, a return of Tutu, which you can't go wrong with. The major generous of the Za Lord's army or guardians. The Za Lord's guard. I love it. I uh, I, I mentioned that name to you last week. And I didn't. Mm. It, did, it didn't make it in the pod because I realized it was spoilery. It's not really spoilery, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but I had no frame of reference. Yeah, but that was the Za Lord's guard. Za Lord's guard. That funny. I mentioned it one week early. But yeah, I uh, I always love a, a good. Uh, moment with Toot Toot. But you know, I, I mean, um, I kind of, I really loved the whole interaction with the Carpenters. Yeah, no, it's I a good it start. So. Um, it's the beginning of a novel, so there's really not much to catch up on, which is part of why you look so good doing these recaps and I look so bad because you get to do the easy ones. But, um, John kind of catches up in universe, and I'll hop right into ch- right into sure. chapter. Sure. So things that have become important, at least apparently in this novel so far, Molly has discovered she's got magic, so she has become Harry's apprentice and is under the doom of Damocles, um, which means so is Harry. Um, she's come to terms with have using the power to help others, like Harry does. And kind of has sort of seen the error of her ways in using magic just because she can. Um, We learned a few books ago, or it happened a few books ago, during the Arctis Tour adventure, Murphy lost uh, rank. She is now Sergeant Murphy. Um, Thomas is a hairdresser that doesn't come into play in this section, but I still think it's spectacular. And I think that's about where we're at. Those are the important... uh, Hits, I think. Sounds good to me. <laughs> the blurb says, No one's tried to kill Harry Dresden for almost an entire year. <laughs> his life seems finally seems to be calming down. For once, the future looks fairly bright. But the past casts one hell of a long shadow. Does it not? Mm-hmm. It's a good blurb. Yeah, it is. Um, 
like that no one's tried to kill him in almost a year that's spectacular this is also the beginning of this is this is our first really wintry is it look in chicago where you know he's dealing with snow and stuff okay snow here yesterday really really brief briefly very exciting it was like 40 something degrees too which is weird i didn't know that could work but yeah interesting i mean it was like there like 30 seconds and then it turned into rain but it was definitely hey. stuck on my arm and we open on training basically for lack of a better term where tra- molly is working on her shield training trying to block snowballs thrown by her family which is a cute scene it is and you know we get harry's always bittersweet look at families and uh there's a line in there where where charity kind of catches on to some of Harry's abusive background, um, realizing that when he was trained for his shield training, Justin used baseballs instead of snowballs, which is a quick way to learn, certainly. Yeah. Um, not cool, more not cool. It's a very cute scene. You know, the whole family throws them at him. Um, Alicia, I think it is, has decided to be his squire, um, and she makes him so small, cute. Which is so, yeah. This this whole scene is just incredibly cute. cute to but him. it's also that throwback to him calling her Alicia when she was call, calling her Leech. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I just love that. He picked up the mantle right there uh, when he when he referred to her by her full name. Yeah. Yep. Um, but he was he made an ally for life. That he totally funny. did. I love the where he says on three, and before he's even said one, before he even finished with two, all of them had all thrown. <laughs> just it's just a that's great... a, a sibling situation there for sure. Oh yeah, but it's it's a great family moment. <laughs> um, it is, and it's cool that Harry gets to be included in that. Um, there's, uh, I'm now thinking of something later in the book that's going to make me cry. It's going to make me cry when we get to it, but it's going to make me cry thinking about getting to it as well. <laughs> so there you go. That's <laughs> whatever that means to you. And because they're messing around with their snowball fight, they don't realize until very late that they're under attack. A couple of fairy, uh, denizens of fairy, we're not sure what kind of type of creatures they are, but they are certainly um, fey because of the way they react to uh, cold iron later. But they attack. And so it's very... Cool to see immediately the kids go from this fun, happy-go-lucky to emergency. Everyone in the safe room, you know, like, it's not orderly by any means, but it's more orderly than you'd expect a bunch of children to be in a chaotic mm-hmm. situation. Molly does cool Olay stuff. Mm-hmm. Harry, you know, uses his blasting rod. And then, oh shit, was it Amanda that was the squire or Alicia? I thought it was Alicia. Oh, maybe I'm giving too much credit to stories. Well, that's what we do here on the podcast. On fire. <laughs> Faultless. We give credit to stories. In my head, it was definitely a leech. Yeah. Hope. Oh, it's Hope. Hope. Oh. It was a squire. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, just kidding. Either way, it's still cute. I love, I just love the scene. It's, it's the family, the chaos, and then the gruff. Yeah, true chaos. The true chaos that comes shortly thereafter, which is actually usually how it works. <laughs> It is really cool. Uh, I know I keep saying that. I just, I love this scene. I, I love these moments because it's, it's big for Harry to experience. 
Yeah. But Cherry comes out with a nail gun and starts launching nails Spectacular. At, at the bad guys, which is great. Again, just in a crisis, Charity's really like the coolest head, coolest head around. But Harry's duster saves him. Harry's friend, Charity, saves him. And eventually they chase off the bad guys. And he has his... Uh... Last time it was boats. This time it's fairies, but fairies. Yeah. Why did it have to be fairies? <laughs> All right. So they're kind of regrouping in the house, and uh, Charity confirms that his nose is broken. And um, we learn that Michael was gone getting pizza for the gang, and he came back to this mayhem. <laughs> I was just here. And he, they were discussing that they are fairies because the, the corpse didn't turn into ectoplasm. There and there's no footprints that that no sign that these goat sta- goat things were still around. And he says, Michael says, I thank God no one was hurt. He said, for him it wasn't just an expression; he meant it literally. It came of being a devout Catholic and maybe from toting around a holy sword with one of the nails from the crucifixion wrought into its blade. <laughs> he shook himself and gave me a short smile. And you, of course, Harry. And Harry deflects that attention to Daniel, Molly, and Charity. He says Charity did all the actual smiting. <laughs> and Charity kind of blushes and uh, leaves a room quickly. But she leaves a room to burn the tissues that she was using from his bloodied face. Which So she obviously understands that you can't have the blood around. Someone will be able to control you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Michael is very impressed that Charity used the nail gun. And he said, how did you know it was a fairy? I didn't. I just grabbed what was at hand. <laughs> and Harry says that they got lucky. And he tells Michael, not every good thing that happens is divine intervention, Michael. True. But I prefer to give him the credit unless I have a good reason to believe otherwise. It seems more polite than the other way around. (laughs) I do love that one, too. I really love Michael. And then Harry realizes, kind of, he feels like an intruder. He feels like he doesn't belong here. And he says, well, looks like I've got a new project. I says, well, oh, yes, I'm going. And he said, that's the project. I think they were after me. The attack on the kids was a diversion to get the one in the tree a shot at my back. Are you sure about that? No. It's possible that they're holding a grudge about that business at Arctis Tor. Keep your eyes open just in case. And let Molly know that I'd like her to stay here for the time being. Michael quirked an eyebrow at me. You think she needs our protection? No. I think you might need hers. I like that vote of confidence. I love that. Yes. And it, it, you know, it is a, it, it is twofold. He did believe that. I think he actually truly believed that. But he also, it wouldn't put her in harm's way going out and about with him in to who knows what. Yeah, for sure. And he said, I sat looking at the warm golden light coming from the house for a moment. Then I coaxed the beetle to life and headed home. That's kind of so sad. He kind of looks at the house and just, because it's what he never had. And he doesn't think he ever will. And you're sure they were fairies? Bob Skull asked. How many other things get their blood set on fire when it touches iron and steel, Bob? Yes, I think I know a fairy when I get my nose broken by one. (laughs) Which is just a great line. It is. He's down in the lab. Talks about his various trinkets and things that he's got, including a leather pouch made from the genital sack of an African lion. (laughs) 
It was a gift. Don't ask. <laughs> it's the only time we've heard mention of that so far, I think. And I, yeah, I, it, it's new to me. I'm not des- I'm desperate to learn more about <laughs> Bob posits, you know, like Harry, that someone's holding Arctis tour against them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because fairies don't fa- fairies don't ever forget the grudge, boss. But these, you know, they kind of go through trying to figure out what where they're what type of creatures they are. And Bob's excited that they might have been satyrs because if they're satyrs, there's bound to be a nymph or two somewhere. So they basically go through and look at basically you know a picture book of fairies, and we get a quick hit of exposition on the the paranet which we heard tell of last episode here where they set up that's the network he set up among minor talents to coordinate and share information and share resources which is really cool to see that already um taking effect here one chunk later i guess it's a year later almost but still um that is exciting to see the paranet kind of take shape already. Mm-hmm. Bob mentions that they have some of the best strip clubs in the world in Dallas. <laughs> Good old Bob. Which is important to know. Sex work is work. As he's flipping through his picture book of fairies, Bob is reading his paperback romances, screaming, rip my dress off! Oh my god, I love that he's doing play-by-play on the book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Spectacular conversation about wear goats and goat wares in particular is uh <laughs> one of my favorites so far yeah goat wear the idea being that it's a goat that turns into a human not vice versa <laughs> which for some reason just absolutely slays me <laughs> which i mean we have seen with tara west uh-huh that's true that's uh... just that the wolf part is more strong on her right well yeah i think she's a wolf that shifts into human form yeah. Versus the, your standard werewolf or were-goat, as the case may be. Bob is shouting at the book, cheering during what were apparently the love scenes and heckling most of the rest, as if the characters all had been live performers on stage. I just love every bit of that description. Yes. And Harry finds our bad guys here. If the book is right, I just got jumped by gruffs. Um, did you say gruffs? Gruffs? What? As in the three Billy Goats gruff? You just got your ass handed to you by a nursery tale. Oh, good old Bob. So we find out who our our, our feature featured creatures are here. It's the Billy Goats gruff, and they definitely aren't of winter. They are summer sheep. So it just adds more confusion here to what's going on. Although he did. Give Queen Titania's daughter the death of a thousand cuts. So he is a fairy murderer at this point. So you never know. Anybody could be the bad guy here. But these things are actually pretty strong. They're, they've got a reputation for killing trolls. So despite them being a bit of a nursery rhyme, they are badass. Mm-hmm. And as he's working through that, the phone rings. And it's Sergeant Murphy. Says, it's me. I need you. Harry makes it weird, because of course he does. <laughs> and <laughs> that was Murphy making it a duty call. This late at night? What else could it be? <laughs> Watch your back. Actually, careful, boss. <laughs> Why do you say that? I don't know if you're up on your nursery tales, but if you'll remember, the Billy Goat's Gruff had a whole succession of brothers. Yeah, 
each of them bigger and meaner than the last. I headed out to meet Murphy. Where goats? Jesus. <laughs> All right, so he arrives at an apartment building that appears to have been on fire. Not his fault. Not his fault. Definitely not his fault. Harry did not burn this building down. The front facing of the building was just gone, as if some unimaginably huge axe had sliced straight down it. You could see the floors and interiors of empty apartments when you could get a glimpse of them through all the through the pall of dust and smoke and thick falling snow. Fire burned in the buildings. Fires burned in the building, insubstantial behind the haze of flame and winter. Rubble had washed out into the street, damaging the buildings on the other side, and the police had everyone cordoned off at least a block away. Broken glass and steel and brick lay everywhere. The air was acrid, thick with the stench of burning materials never meant to feed a fire. So this is like, in my head, this was like the blown off the face of the building. Absolutely crazy. We learned that the building wasn't occupied because it was being renovated, which is a good thing. And then Murphy asks Harry if he's willing to work off the books. And we learn that SI has been pooling their coffee money in case they need him on on a case. And it sounds like SI is dropping rapidly in standing with the department. They're not getting any budget. And so Harry says that he can't take their money. And he said uh, that he'll go hourly rather than per diem. Which per diem is by the day. Rather than getting paid for for a full day's worth of work, he's going to only charge her for the hours he truly does work. And so he says, what's the scoop? Explosion of some kind. Maybe an accident. Maybe not. Yeah, because you call me in on maybe accidents all the time. And so they go out into, they go into the building. And they kick Rollins out. For plausible deniability, Murphy says there hasn't been anything specific, but people up the line from SI have made it very clear that you are persona non grata, which is interesting. So we're learning a little bit more about the politics that are going on with the department. She says that she's paid him out of her own pocket when the city wouldn't spend money. And the rest of the SI throws money into the, into the kitty to be able to pay him when they really need him. And so that's, I mean, obviously they value him. That's uh, the truth of it all, is that they, whether or not they value him as a person, they value his information and his knowledge. And he says, it's never been about the money. You shouldn't have to tap dance around the demands of all the ladder climbers to do your job. No, not in a reasonable world. But if you haven't noticed, that world must be in a different area code. And it seems to me that you've had to end run your superiors once or twice. That, I said. And touche. And so they get to work. They start climbing through the rubble-choked alley. And they've gone about three feet in when Harry smells brimstone and sulfur. There's only one thing that smells like that. And Murphy said, I thought it smelled familiar, like back at the fortress and the other times I've smelt it. (laughs) It's hellfire, obviously. And he sees a big hole has been blown in the wall. But not like blown in the wall where the wall is falling around. Burned through the fucking wall. Like the edges of it are melted. And to melt brick, that takes quite a bit of heat, let's just say. And he tells Murphy, no normal fire is this contained. Fire generated with magic is still fire, Murph. 
I mean, sure, you can call it a tremendous heat and energy, but once it gets to you, it behaves like heat. It still does business with the laws of thermodynamics. And so he says that if you want to control it, once it, you call it up, it takes an exceptional amount of energy to focus that. And for most, controlling that energy when you have it is more effort than the fire itself. Uh. And she asks him if he could do this. And he says, not a chance in hell. I'm pretty sure I couldn't call up this much energy in the first place. So this is a very strong bit of magical energy going on here. And he does another spell, a ventas reductas, which basically works um, as a passable impersonation of an electric blow dryer to gently dust the, the uh, snow away from the wall. And while he's clearing it off, clearing the snow off, he smells another familiar scent. Blood. We, under- we understand it to be most likely human, because mortal blood is the strongest ink he can use for symbols, like this symbol that he sees in high-energy spells. At first, when he looked at it, he thought it was a pentacle. A pentacle is a symbol of order, five points, five sides, representing earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. It's contained within the circle, the points touching the outer rim. It represents the forces of a magical bond within the human control, power balanced by restraint. But in this particular rune on the wall, the points of the star fall outside of the ring. And he has no fucking clue what it means. And he's, you know, she said, can you guess what it means? He says, off the top of my head, this looks uncomfortably like a combination of the pentacle and the anarchy symbol. Magic unrestrained. Anarchist wizards? Just a guess. And we learn that the symbol is used to reflect power. He guesses that the energy that drove through the building was reflected from this sigil, which means the energy had to come in from somewhere else first. The incoming beam must have gone right through the collapsed part of the building. And he sees it as heat energy. But this isn't an explosion. It's heat energy drilling a hole in the wall, which is fucking insane. But he keeps walking around the building and he finds more symbols. He finds a total of five reflection points, which had guided a truly freaking frightening amount of energy through the building forming one single enormous shape as they did. It's a pentagram. The beam of energy that ripped through the building right here was one of five sides of a pentagram, a five-pointed star. Murphy looks at him blankly, understandably. He talks about how the star is drawn because he needs to know what, where the, the drawer of the pentagram started because that is how the pentagram is used. It can do different, like different powers of magic, different thing. It, it, it does different things. And he says that the center of the pentagram must have been about 20 feet from the back of the door, which is only the front half of the building. The explosion came from inside this pentagon, pentagon thing, magical TNT. And the explosion came from inside, but not necessarily from the pentagram. This is all a very complicated sort of spell casting, it seems like. Uh-huh. That the, the pentagram was creating possibly a cage or a doorway. And Murphy says, which, judging by your face, would be bad. <laughs> which we've learned doorways are always bad. And he says, look, until I know what the pentagram's purpose was, all I can do is speculate. And there's something else weird here, too. Place of residual magic. 
basically magical fingerprints from anywhere in that area, which is crazy. And Harry didn't even know it was possible. So that says a lot. And so Murphy says what we're left with questions. What is a major league supernatural hitter doing placing a huge pentagram under an empty apartment building? And what was his goal in creating it? And why blow up the building afterward? Who owns this building? Lake Michigan Ventures, a subsidiary of Mitigation Unlimited, whose CEO is triple crap. Gentleman Johnny Marcone. Bro. Dun, dun, dun. We got our quick description of Marcone as a criminal underworld boss. Uh, basically, that his management style was better was a better alternative than most. He'd put the civil back in civil offender, harshly cutting down on violence against civilians and law enforcement alike. It didn't make his business any less ugly, just tidier. But it could have been worse, as far as the authorities were concerned. Of course, the authorities didn't know that it was worse. <laughs> um, last novel we saw, he had signed on to the Unsealy Accords as a freeholding lord, which basically makes him like the Vatican, a small... Neutral state of recognizable power. Um, Just a terrifying situation, if you ask me. Indeed. And we don't know what he can get up to, what no good he can get up to, but we're sure it's no good. Yeah, seriously. They have a quick back and forth exposing, expositing about pentagrams versus circles. Harry uses circles mostly for PR reasons, he says, because you get uh, people claiming you're satanic if you use pentagrams. So, but if he needs a pentagram, he just imagines it, which is interesting. I mean, this conversation is great. Yeah. Right? Um, we talked about how you basically don't need anything for magic. Everything you use helps because it helps you picture stuff more clearly, but you really mm-hmm. don't need in the first place um, all the extra accoutrement, which is interesting. The, uh, Back and forth about cops and donuts is funny. Yes. But I also like the reasoning behind that. About the donuts. The reasoning behind donuts oh, yeah. is because that they can sit in the car. And I really like that, that how he explains that process. It's kind of a smart sort of very hairy yeah, for moment. Sure. Then she asks him about his face. And she also smiles about the three Billy Goats gruff. Which I think is spectacular. Yeah. And their conversation about killing a troll where... Um, he had a little help. <laughs> She's the little help, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Squeezes in some more short, short uh, jokes. Demands this donut. She goes and gets him a donut. Because, <laughs> of course, she has a donut because they're cops. Uh, we see Rollins, which is great, even if only for a short amount of time. <laughs> I haven't seen him do this for a long time. But he takes the donut and he starts chanting Toot Toot's name. Summons him with the capital N power of his name. He invoked it as lightly and gently as he could in an effort to be polite. Which is interesting. Um, just like... Why? Well, he's polite because Toots his friend. But also, like, I wonder what... I don't know, it just seems interesting. I don't know, maybe not. I think Toots, Toots got more power than, we got, than anyone gives him credit for. Mm-hmm. And, um... I like that he's grown. He must be twice as tall as the last time they'd spoken. Mm. Which is interesting. We've seen that conversation before, right? The more powerful 
power is kind of manifest itself in the spirit power in the spirit world manifests itself in the real world um mm-hmm. like capital p power he shows as larger and um so clearly two is more powerful than he was when we first met him which is cool um we do love to we do our true hero there's he's got a helmet that's made from the cap to a three liter bottle of coca-cola how often do you get three liter bottles of coca-cola I don't know. I only thought they made three liter bottles of Shasta. Yeah, the cheap stuff at the grocery outlet. But either way, he's got a Pepto Bismol breastplate. He still has his cold iron box knife sheathed in orange plastic over his shoulder, which is interesting. He's carrying around the bane. Toots a fucking badass, is kind of what mm-hmm. He's got boots from a Ken doll or a G.I. Joe. I just, I just love picturing this outfit. Yeah, it's just great. And Toot Toot is wonderful, his purple hair, and he's imitating the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. (laughs) His box knife. There are many who like it, but this one is mine. He shows him the donut. Toot wonders, is it my donut, Harry? It's payment. And he goes in to explain about the Zaw Lord's guard. (laughs) Which which I think is wonderful. Is his extermination service. Which he didn't know he had. Which he did not know he had. <laughs> it's a bunch of pixies who eat the pizza that he orders. He has a regular retainer of pizza. And so he has a regular retainer of guards. And it's the pixies that he has worked with in the past. Pixies that he, that he keep, keeps fed. And also we saw last chunk of White Knight, how he freed a bunch of pixies from servitude. from Lara In his Wraith. name. Yeah, from, he had Lara Wraith free them in Harry's name. So he's growing in power, um, or certainly in esteem among the pixies, the little folk. He tasks Toot with figuring out who, with, he sends Toot out to find out more about the spell that went down. And before too long, he comes back. Harris wasn't expecting it to be so quick. And he comes back and, and Toot says, run, run, Lord, run. What about the donut? Forget the donut! My lord, forget the donut. I like that that more than anything jars him into motion. Yep. So he starts hoofing it down the street, and the snow picks up into basically a complete whiteout sheet. He knows he's being pursued, and again, he's trying to get to a police station just a block or so away, but it's completely white. Like, the snow comes up in, like, blizzard-type zero-visibility situation, and he realizes he's not alone, and he turns and he sees Queen of Air and Darkness, the beautiful, inhuman... Queen of the Winter Court of the She, it is Mab, and she is escorted by some sort of gigantic cat creature, and this feline shape mules, as well you should bow, mortal, bow before Mab, the queen of air and darkness, bow before the monarch of the unseelie fay, the Winter Court of the She. And Harry is reasonably intimidated. Spooked. Yes. 
Think of every evil fairy tale villainess you've ever heard of. Think of the wicked witches, the evil queens, the mad enchantresses. Think of the alluring sirens, the hungry ogresses, the savage she-beasts. Think of them and remember that somewhere, sometime, they've all been real. Mab gave them lessons. So she's a real first-class baddie. And uh, the critter that's with her is is called Grimalkin. But Grimalkin is speaking for her. We don't know why. We just learned that... um, she says, the servitor is my voice for the time being, wizard, and nothing more. Why would the queen of air and darkness need an interpreter? You are already in my debt, and you wish an answer to that question. You would incur more obligation yet. I do not believe in charity. But you missed the point of the question, I think. Why would Mab need such a thing? She's an immortal, a demigod. And Mab realizes that he is questioning her identity. And just as you did in our first meeting. And no one had been privy to that first meeting. And then she winks at him like she did the last time he had seen her. And she is asking for him to repay a favor. And she wants him to look at, it's about the building that the Lady Knight asked him to examine. And I love how she refers to Murphy as the Lady Knight. Uh Um, As it was before the working that rent it asunder. And she does this magic with the snow. Which is so cool. And shows us. That before the building went kaboom, Hendrix, Marcone, and Guard all ran into the building. Heavily armed. And shooting at something. And running fast. And they go into a safe room of sorts inside the building. And they were still there when the building went kaboom. And so that he's, he was locking himself in with both blast panels, but also wards. He had a panic room. But I had to wonder what the hell had rattled Marcone enough to send him scurrying for a deep hole. And then Guard's head snapped up, looking directly at where Mab currently stood, as if the little snow sculpture could somehow see the titanic form of the Winter Queen looking down upon her. Guard reached into her suit pocket, drew out what looked like a slender wooden box, the kind that com- that really high-end pen sets came in, and took a small rectangular plaque of some, si- some kind from the box. She lifted it, facing Mab again, and snapped the little plaque in her fingers. The entire snow sculpture collapsed on itself and was gone. So there was a hidden camera that that guard found and disabled. And he asks Mab, what happened? Oh, was that your, that was your take on that, huh? Yeah. 
Okay. That's what she put something in front of it. And that's why it suddenly went away because they couldn't see anymore. Um, I had a different and that's why she said within her limits, the chooser is resourceful and clever. All sight was clouded for several minutes, so we don't know what had happened. Um, so after the, the building went boom, uh, Marcone came stumbling out the front door of the building. Several forms hurried out behind him. They surrounded him. A plain van appeared out of the night, and the unknown figures cast him through its open doors. Then they entered and were gone. As the van pulled away from the building, as the van pulled away, the building shuddered and collapsed in on itself, sliding down into a wreckage, the wreckage and ruin I'd seen. And so Mab is asking him to be her emissary and finding the Baron, aka Johnny Marcone, will repay one of the favors she owes him. Favors he owes her. That's what I mean. He owes her. That's what I meant. That's one of the. Uh, he says the hell I will. As you wish to survive, you have no choice. And he says it wasn't part of their deal that she would coerce him. And then he, I, I from what I gathered is that she was freezing the moisture in his eyes. And causing him a lot of pain. Uh, yeah. And she came down and in her, his ear whispered, Mortal brute, whatever your past, whatever your future, know this. I am Mab and I keep my bargains. Just in, question any given word again, ape, and I will finish freezing the water in your eyes. Um, so she says, I have not coerced you nor dispatched any agent of mine to do so. Nonetheless, if you wish to survive, you will serve me. I assure you that Summer's agents will not rest until you are dead. So we under so now we understand it that the Billy Goats Gruff are Summer's agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and she again offers him the the status of Winter Knight, and he goes through hemming and hawing inside his head, and says that he doesn't want it. And she says, "Oh, but you do." And he says, "The part of me that wants it doesn't get a vote." <laughs> I'm not going to take the job, period. One day, wizard, you will kneel at my feet and ask me to bestow the mantle upon you. But not today. No. Today you repay me a favor, just as you said you would. <laughs> he asked, okay, so who took him? He, she has no idea. Um, but that, But she... She is asking him to be her emissary because he has a gift for finding what is lost, which we know. We know Harry can find lost things. It's been a a thread throughout. Um, And she says you should rise and leave this place immediately. Because when your little retainer warned you of danger, wizard child, he was not referring to me. He looks across the street and sees two big men in Stetson's hat and long coats. And Mab and Grimalkin disappear. And both he turns towards the street in time to see the two figures step off the sidewalk and begin more, moving toward me with long strides. They were both tall, nearly my own height, and thickly built. The snowfall hadn't lightened, and the street was a smooth pane of unbroken snow. 
They were leaving cloven footprints on it. Crap, I spat and fled back down the narrow, featureless alley. Goodness gracious. The action started really quick in this one. Mm-hmm. Literally the first scene. Um, and we do know that because it's book 10, and as I've been told on the fives, right, is when we get our, um, what are they called? Not draconian. The people in the coins. Demarians. Demarians. That's what Denarians. they're called. Denarians. Demarians. Demarians. Denarians. I'm close. Demarderos. <laughs> um, so not only we now learn, we now know that the big bad billy goats are from summer. Yes. Marcone is somehow involved. And it's a book 10. So we're going to have a denarian. Have I everything. Do I have everything right so far? So far. So good. So far, we got a lot going on here. We know, but we always have more than one bad guy, so it's not a surprise. Of course, and also the the Hellfire certainly was yes suggestive of Denarian intervention here. Yes, because that's the only place we've seen Hellfire in so far, and that also made me think: is small favor he's going to have to ask Lash for a favor? Okay. Ooh, interesting. But I mean, the also the other side of the favor is that he is returning a favor to Mab in the finding of of Marcone. So it's it's there's a lot going on in my head right now with this. <laughs> and the, the the multiple meanings of the um titles is always yes full of intrigue. I mean, well, I mean, it's a it's another storytelling tool. Absolutely. We know that for a fact, absolutely for sure. Ay ay ay, dude. Um, yeah, we we already talked about it quite a bit, but that first chapter is great. Um, I just love yes everything about it. Um, the ingenuity just got some great characters. Yeah, we get to see the ingenuity of Charity. We get to see Molly using her tools. You know, Harry using his tool. Like just everyone kind of doing what they do. Um, well, oh, we also see um. Charity's compassion for Harry. Mm-hmm. Like in her eyes, I feel that the childhood that Harry experienced, she had a, a rough childhood because, you know, her parents treated her like shit because, when she found her magic. But it was nothing like what Harry dealt with, what Harry experienced, what Harry went through. Uh-huh. And it's just kind of nice to see, have Charity showing, because she knows knows a little bit more about him now. But she, it's it's showing her empathy for him. And I think that's a really strong thing for their relationship, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it, it, seeing them progress as true friends now is really cool to see. Yeah. Maybe not true friends, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more than an armed neutrality. Okay, that's fair. 
Uh, they're certainly moving in that direction. Yeah. I agree. I don't know, anything else on that chapter there? Um, uh, no, uh, I do. I really do. It's kind of a, a, a cool thing, but also a really sad thing that these children have to be trained to go to the safe room and everybody respond so instantaneously. Yeah. It's like, it's really tragic. Because um, they, that they've had this training and they've had to do it, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like you hit the nail on the head there. Like, it's cool. It shows competency and like that they're clever. Yeah. But like, it's awful. If you think about the age of those children. Yeah. Harry is very much a part of this family. And then you see kind of towards the end of that chapter, he like puts up some distance there, which is also kind of sad. Um you know, felt like- he just doesn't feel like he belongs there. Yeah, but I think he's the only one that feels that. But a hundred percent, he d- no one else is implying that it's just in him his own kind of world that that's how he feels. The chapter with Bob was funny. Yeah, <laughs> I I also love because we hear about him reading the fa- the um, romance books, but I like that we get to see him on the page reading the books. Exactly. Yeah, but I enjoy it. How can we not? Yeah, I mean, you know, the stuff about the satyrs and nymphs is typical Bob, but... A hundred percent. Yeah, good stuff there. Harry really is completely incapable of having a normal conversation with Murphy. <laughs> Digs his foot pretty deeply into his mouth there. A couple times with her. But are we are we surprised? Because, oh, I mean... Not. You mentioned that the... Uh, cop donut but instead of it just being a throwaway like explaining why cops eat donuts, yeah i thought that was really clever and you know i think he he explained it because it's like it's not an insult i swear mostly mostly exactly (sighs) the um where she says what happened to your face i was in a snowball fight (laughs) (laughs) this is a really cool spell whatever this um pentagram building explosion yeah um obviously some hellfire involved shock me any thoughts there like you said it it's it's coming somewhere it's coming from somewhere we're not i'm not all that surprised because i mean it seems that he can't just he really just can't get away from the denarians but you know it it's it's hairy it's these are the adventures he gets himself into and that's why Murphy keeps him around. <laughs> I mean, fact. <laughs> oh, trying to decide if I should go to urgent care before practice. Ah, uh, maybe. Fucking oh, that is bright red. Um, <clears throat> it's cool to see Toot again. Mm-hmm. It's always good to see Toot, though. Yeah, of course, of course. I do like that he's getting bigger, and the Zaw Lord's guard. Yes. Description of that. He's becoming more and more of a little, a little fairy soldier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it also says something about Harry, you know, gaining influence over the little folk. Mm-hmm. Is certainly significant as well. And, and not by force, not by you know um, manipulation, simply by taking care of beings that are weaker than him. Yeah, by being a good dude. Yeah, and I like it. Hundred mm-hmm. percent there. Hundred percent. Guess um, it's cool how 
how secretive he is about Tutu's name. We talked about that uh-huh. way in the past, but like basically, like because Toots is boy, he doesn't want jokers like us bothering him. Exactly. <laughs> the chapter with Mab was interesting, but and as soon as he dis- as he as he began to describe her, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, Mab's back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that whole situation? Um, Grimalkin speaking for her and stuff. There's, I'm guessing there's some sort of spell. She's got herself into some trouble okay. that she's not allowed to talk because, you know, she gets her, he, she likes to get herself into trouble. <laughs> she does. She did. You know, there's got to be a reason for it. It's not just a throwaway moment. We know this about her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stuff Colin and um, company. See, what's interesting is I saw that as her actually seeing Mab watching them. That's why I said I want to talk about. I thought that was like some weird, really powerful time. The first time through, I did. I thought it was kind of like when he looks up to see himself over Little Chicago. Mm-hmm. But then when I read it again, where she reached up. Crack grabbed something, and Harry said, "Oh, she found the hidden camera." I was like, "Oh," and maybe, and maybe not like a, a a typical hidden camera, but kind of like eyes eyes into uh, eyes like Mavs into um, the world sort of situation. Yeah, somebody um... super secret squirrel sort of stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, no, that was yeah. that was interesting. I did love that snow snow castle recreation. Yeah, was it was really, pretty neat. Really cool to see. But it it's also I thought it was also really interesting because it's very similar to how he does Little Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, where it's because it's the same kind of magic, probably. Only he needs something to guide him there, and she does not. Or perhaps you know. Or perhaps there is something there guiding her to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the or, same kind because orders of magnitude more power than Harry. So yeah, but it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Short of that, yeah, we don't know enough yet about what's going on to really get into the meat and potatoes of the story. We just you know Mark Holmes taken and what's up? It's kind of where we're at. Yeah. I guess. Um, anything else there? I, I, my first thought was like, of course, Mark Cohn's involved. He gets a supernatural badge of honor, and of course, he has to get himself into trouble like immediately. <laughs> In me, immediately, like so quickly. Um, but it's also it makes sense because now, I mean, he's he exists in the eyes of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. No. Absolutely. He's on the map more than he was, which means he's a target more than he was. Exactly. In this case. Very much so. All right. Lots of intrigue to sort out as we go through this novel. Um, very cool. Yeah, there's multiple strains of intrigue. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, anything else you want to discuss? Um, I actually had one here. When he talks about how to draw a star, that's not how anyone draws a star. Bottom right. Wait, what do you mean? He's the bottom... Left, up to the top, down to the right. Isn't that what he said? Yeah. That's how I do it. Oh, I go point straight down to the bottom left. I start at the the bottom left, go up to the top, go down to the right. Okay. Go 
Yeah, that's how I started. Like you start like you're writing an A. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's how I did it. But that's also part of my signature now. <laughs> but no, that's how I've always drawn an, a star. How funny. Huh. Yeah, no, I don't draw it that way at all. And I've never seen anyone do it that way. And I always thought this was weird. That's, <laughs> that's so funny. That's totally how I draw it. Maybe I'm a wizard. Shaving a haircut six bits. Exactly. Um, all right, then. That was all I have on analysis. Not really a ton going on. but uh... No, well, it's they were such short chapters and they were very concise. <laughs> but I did like it. A yacht. Yikes. Basically, the Bob chapter was yikesy, but... But that's Bob. Anything else on there? No, I didn't... I, there was no yikesy. Though there was the one thing that I thought was really cute, I should have mentioned in the chapter one, was where they were talking about... Um, where Harry and Charity were talking about, like, you know, in, in a snowball fight, you shove the snow down someone's jacket. And then she did it to Harry... Mm-hmm. I just thought that was cute. She was acting like a little kid. Yeah, I just love that scene. For I think it was. I think it's a great scene on on all ends. I love how she's portrayed. I think it's delightful. Yeah, no, I definitely. Um, some of these moments with Charity are great to look back on because she is very much a bit pop player. Um, yeah, but you see, like it's it's cool to kind of look into how much she really affects Harry a lot more than I would have guessed a year ago. Yeah. But they also did go through that horrible ordeal. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, talk, so that has a lot. Trauma bond of yeah. going to Arctis tour, going to New Mexico, stuff like that. Definitely. <laughs> Who'd have thunk they would have been the two bonding. Okay. In that case, um, Without any more yikes, I guess we're on to quotes of the week. Yes. It'll be a bit of a quick one this week. It really is. But, I mean, it was a shorter, they were shorter mm-hmm. bits of story. Um, and most of the, my quotes have all been, uh, we already said them, but I don't care. The first one I already read. I thank God no one was hurt. He said, for him, it wasn't just an expression. He meant it literally. It came of being a devout Catholic and maybe from toting around a holy sword with one of the nails from the crucifixion wrought into the blade. I just love that. Um, and the next one was, Bob the Skull takes paperback romances very seriously. Um, and typical. Nothing was ever simple when Marcone was involved. <laughs> Which is fact. Um, and then over the years, my instincts and I have gotten cozy. And you're sure there were fairies? How many other things get their blood set on fire when it touches iron and steel, Bob? Yes, I think I know a fairy when I get my nose broken by one. Uh, and then when he's talking about later in that chapter, whether or not he got his ass handed to him. And Bob says, your nose is all swollen up and you've got two black eyes. You look like a raccoon holding a dislocated ass. Uh, you gotta love Bob. Because he got his ass handed to him, the holding the dislocated ass, I just thought was so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really, it is pretty great. The turn of phrase on its head. Um, and then, hell, my bank account is thinner than a tobacco lobbyist's moral justification. I'll go, I'll go hourly. <laughs> <laughs> when he's doing Murph a solid uh, as well. And yeah, short of that, we've kind of gone back and forth. It was a, a relatively quick chunk this week, which is good. Yeah. For our editor. It's great for our editor. 
but also because he can't act this week because he's going to be in sunny Orange County. Hoo-hoo. So uh, looks like we're in Westminster this week. Mm, fancy. Oh, they got some great fog down there, so maybe I hope it is cold. Oh, we're supposed to have rain this week. We had a little bit yesterday. Oof. We had snow. Um, fancy pants. Short of that, uh, do you have a uh, crackpot theory this week? Um, yes, I do. Um, I actually have a couple. Well, you know, it's, I'm going to double down, well, maybe quintuple down Uh on, uh, Mark Cohen's supernatural abilities. And now that we're seeing him getting dragged into the the supernatural world, there's got to be a reason they're going after him. Obvi. Um, and the other, it just kind of made me ponder. It popped into my head with, uh, Mab referring to Murphy as the lady knight. Yeah. Maybe she'll end up with the, the sword. Maybe she'll become a knight of the cross. Okay. Seen her you see? under the sight as an avenging. Yeah, ah. she's an avenging angel of sort. Knight angel, what have you? Angel, as they say. An angel. But yeah. Actually, in, it's canangel. You actually do pronounce the K in canangel. <laughs> canangel. Um, I, I don't make the rules list. <laughs> Dork. But yeah, I I mean, nothing outside of my norm. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But uh, beyond that, then, I guess uh, we can get out of here a little early this week. Yeah, really quick this week. Uh-huh. Um, the Well, and this week, it's interesting for me personally, because um, the audiobook isn't available right now. So I'm doing it like old school, just straight up reading it. Ooh, words on a page. Word, well, on a Kindle. Um, but I mean, it's it's a whole. I still hear Marsha's voice in my head. <laughs> uh, but it's it's different to see the words because, like, usually I'll listen to it and then I'll I'll go through it, um, the actual physical text, and sometimes I'll listen to it and look at the the book because I'm a nerd. But it's interesting, kind of to expertly. Reading in like uh, a couple different ways. So this was an interesting. This week I only did it reading. I read it twice, and I accidentally started into chapter seven, so I had to stop myself. I'm like I, because sometimes I'll oh, I'll listen too far because I don't hear the transitions. I was reading it and I missed the transition. Yeah. So I mean, it's that's how drawn into the the, the story I am, which is it's a good thing. It's just funny because it's straight up how I roll. Apparently. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is interesting to see because we do always talk about the, the capitalizations and things like that. And normally I will see that when I'm going through it the second time because I'll listen to the audiobook and then I'll go through it in the book. And so that's really interesting to me to see it the first time. Um, I kind of like absorb things differently, I suppose. But it's great. All the experiences of readership. And we all know I'm a huge book dork, so. Very, very interesting. But cool, as well. Right? But that's that's my fascination for the week. Absolutely, I dig it. Um, hopefully we get that sorted out, just because there are some great moments in this one. 
Yeah, I, I think it, I should probably get it by the end of the week. In darkness. Yeah. All right then. Well, I guess we Good times. Get out of here. I'm gonna hit the urgent care on the way to the pool. So. Uh, you know how to party hard. I do. Um, I uh, appreciate you guys. Definitely hit us up. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. And of course, patreon.com slash the podcast is on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. I still need to get a fan cast up there for our newest member. It, um, just a bouncing back to uh, urgent care again today. So it's been a, uh, a bit of a week, but I will uh, we'll catch up with everything and life is good. But Lifing is annoying. <laughs> life, the universe, everything. And, um, but yeah, patreon.com says the podcast was on fire. We love to hear from you. We love, uh, you guys paying for my editing software. Um, <laughs> keeping the lights on around here. I love all the things mm-hmm. that it is that you do. So we just, you know, again, even the people that just download people, anyone that downloads this, you guys are spectacular. We appreciate you. Of course, if you're not a Patreon mm-hmm. member, you do have homework. You got to tell one person per week <laughs> about the pod. But, uh, besides that, I, uh, yeah, I think we're solid gold. I think it's good on my end. I- well, and I even told somebody about the pod this week. Um, one of the CSIs came in to pick up evidence, and we were t- somehow the topic of books came up. And I was talking about how we do this podcast. She's like, wait, what What book? What series? And I said, oh, Jim Butcher, the you know Dresden Files. She's like, oh, my God, I listen to those. Or I, I read those. I was like, oh, well, you should listen to our podcast. <laughs> I'm just, you know. Doing God's work over here. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was funny. I too have done my homework this week, Josh. Had a girl. Good times. It's, Good it's times. important. You're not a Patreon member, so subscriber. I am not a but Patreon. You have homework every subscriber. week. Uh, <laughs> you did it. Good stuff. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you, Isa. And um, it's Aaron's 14th wedding anniversary today, I believe. Is it 14? Yeah. There's a picture of a pretty lady and an old man dancing on my Facebook uh, flashback today. So, uh, Swift, but, um, beyond that, so I, I'm sure, I'm sure she's listening. Happy, <laughs> happy anniversary, Aaron. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's all I got. I, uh, all right. appreciate you guys. I've been Josh. And I am Alyssa. The podcast is on fire. It wasn't my fault. All right. Appreciate you guys. I've been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. I had like a brain explosion in the middle of that there. Um, <laughs> I was like, the podcast <laughs> rebooting. Oh, I gotta take these. Hey, fucking. Oh, God damn, I don't have any water left. Fuck. I'm just gonna fucking raw dog some muscle relaxers.